time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Monday, August 31st, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us today as we kick off another fun week of episodes and interviews and a lot of fun discussions here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Guys, I can't believe it's the final day of August. I mean, when everything started in March, right? We looked ahead and we're like, oh my goodness, how are we going to get through the summer? And I mean, pretty much summer's over with. A lot of schools are opening up and uh, at least having kids back learning, maybe not in the classroom here in California, but uh, there's a lot of challenges going on right now for a lot of teachers and uh, a lot of different people. So so that's all we'll say, but hard to believe that we're almost to the month of September and going to be into the fall soon. So the, the, the show goes on as they say, and it's been a lot, a lot of fun. Let me tell you, uh, where do I begin today? It's a, I feel like I haven't talked to you guys in a week, and it's only been a couple days. Just took the you know the weekend off for some relaxation, and I got to tell you, had a pretty good time uh, not doing a whole lot. There was one thing in particular we did on Saturday. We went out to up to, I should say, Oak Glen, California, uh, which is about 45 miles away from where I live, and me and Valerie went up to there. Apple country. It's a pretty cool uh, Oak Mountain, I think it's called. Little town. Not really up in the mountains too much, but um, up, up the road a little bit, we'll say. And just a really cool area. And there's a lot of people there. A lot of people there. It's uh, the, my, my buddy Jan Balon um, is a drummer in a band. And their band is called Under the Covers because they do a lot of cover songs, right? Songs that have you know, famous songs and they just kind of cover them. But so we went up there to listen to them and we're out on a patio with some food and some drinks. And it, it was cool. It was like a little bit of normal life. It was, it was awesome. The, the band was great. Spent some time up there. Saw Jan's uh, fam- uh, mom. I haven't seen her in a long time. It's been like 20 years. Uh, Jan's family, his kids were all there. It was great. So just a good time hanging out, listening to music played by your friends uh, there's a lot of different things to do up there if you guys haven't been up there before. But the kids were they were they did some uh, axe throwing or Jan and his family were doing. There was all kinds of good food and it's it's definitely a place to go check out. There was a restaurant there with outdoor seating. It was really cool. They did they did what they could with it uh, with all these COVID restrictions and I enjoyed myself. Got to see some other friends. My brother Sam and his uh, our buddy Fred rolled up there. Tom we had some good good times just hanging out with some buddies up there and listening to some music. Just a really good time. There was also some college football on Saturday night. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow, I think, because I have a college football official on the program on Tuesday, so I think it's more relevant to that. But it was cool seeing that. Um, And and you know what? With everything that happened last week and going into the weekend, there's a lot of different things to talk about. All week and over the weekend even, I was writing notes to myself. Oh, I got to talk about this. Oh, I got to talk about that. And – I'm trying to keep track of it all. I do want to say this today being Monday that on Wednesday, I can promise you (laughs) me and Bill Barnes are going to go 
after it on on our Wednesday episode. Bill's here every Wednesday, retired uh, police officer and college baseball umpire. Uh, just a guy that uh, really lets lets loose if you haven't heard him already. And, and I'm pretty fired up myself. I have a ton of topics that I wrote down that we're just going to try to to touch and bounce on uh, bounce off of each other. Uh, it'll probably be a pretty long show Wednesday. I can promise you that. Uh, today on the program, we're going to be joined by Chuck Becker. Chuck is also a retired police officer. He spent 30 years working for Pomona Police Department. Uh, Chuck was actually a, com- a SWAT team commander. Uh, if you guys saw his picture, some of the pictures I posted last night of him, uh, he sent me some photos of him in his SWAT gear, and I thought that was pretty cool. So I was really uh, humbled and appreciative of Chuck coming on the program, recording with me last week, and he answered a few questions I had for him that I wasn't sure if he'd be okay talking about, but I just want to thank him very much for talking to me about some of his experience in law enforcement and also his ideas on some of the things that are going on uh, in our country today regarding law enforcement. So Chuck is retired uh, police officer, one time a former commander of the SWAT team, and uh, I think you guys will really like this. Uh, Chuck retired as a lieutenant, retired a couple of years ago. His wife is also in law enforcement. He has a he has a son who just got started in law enforcement himself, so he has a pretty uh, good grasp of uh, law enforcement from the past and the present, as well as, uh, you know, what's to come uh, in the future. So a lot of fun conversations with Chuck. The way I know Chuck, though, is through baseball. We umpired college baseball together a couple times. And Chuck also was a guy who, when I was an intern for the Orange County Flyers, also knows the Fullerton Flyers in a, in a golden baseball league. Uh, I was an intern my senior year of college. Chuck was working in that league, an independent professional baseball league as an umpire. And so that's when we first met. I just wrote his name down on, on a uh, – clipboard because i was getting the names of the umpires that was my job so that's how we met little did we know we would work college baseball together uh years after that and then there's also another connection chuck and i had randomly that i'll let uh, you guys hear in our interview upcoming here shortly so like i've said the past couple of shows i don't know where my guest stands on things or you know where they they are on some of the issues and things that I like to talk about in the morning, or by the morning I mean my opening segment here. So I don't mean any disrespect to anybody that I have on the program when I talk about a subject, or I talk about a quote I heard. All right, I don't know what Chuck's views are on some of these things, so I just want to have that disclaimer out there. All right, I had him on the program uh, interview to do an interview, and it was a lot of fun. All right, and I don't want to ever blindside anyone by making them think that my viewpoints are those of my guests. Unless we directly talk about things in our interview, okay, then you obviously know where they stand. But that's a disclaimer as I uh, move forward here with some of my uh, things that I want to talk about. As I mentioned, I've been writing a ton of things down. And honestly, I'm saving up a lot of them for my interview with Bill Barnes on Wednesday because we talk a lot more current events than, than anything and uh, I'm pretty fired up and I just can't wait to record with him. But anyway, a couple of my thoughts today based off of last week, based off of the weekend. Uh, there's a lot of things that have happened. The Republican National Convention happened last week. I don't know how many of you saw that or you cared about it. Uh, but to me, so many of the hypocrisies that came out of it, specifically the aftermath, the 
convention, the final speech, if you will, was at the White House, and it was, I think, 1,500 people were there. And all the media wanted to do was crush on them for having that many people gathered in one place, even though it was outdoors. Didn't say one word, however, to the mob that was outside, the alleged protesters. What about all those people that were actually confronting a lot of people that left the White House who were at the speech that night? How come the media is only upset at a gathering for a Republican speech? And, and I don't know where anybody, where everybody is, what, who they vote for or who – it's, it's irrelevant. How come there's, there's criticism of that but not the hundreds of people outside the White House who are gathering, much like the people sitting in the seats at the Republican convention? I don't want to call them protesters because they weren't protesting. They were out there uh, being destructful and trying to put fear in people who were leaving the speech, just walking to their hotels. If you guys haven't seen this, look it up. And yes, they went after Democrats and they went after Republicans who were walking from the White House to their hotel. Anyone who left the White House that night after the speech. Where is the criticism from the media about the gathering of people? It's ridiculous. to You can't criticize one group that's behind one fence having a speech, having a convention, and then ignore the group outside. I don't care where you stand. This is hypocrisy. All right. Personally, me, I don't care if people gather outside. I don't. Because you see these these inconsistencies with what we've been told. We've been told repeatedly people can't go to church. People can't gather in a church. You can go in a grocery store. That's indoors. That's fine. But you can't gather in a church. Critical of the RNC convention, the final speech by the president that night, whether you like him or not, I don't, it's irrelevant. My point of this message is the hypocrisy because you know what happened on Friday, the very next day, a huge outdoor gathering in Washington, DC, a huge gathering. Way more than 1,500 people, I'll tell you that. And the same people that criticized the speech on Thursday night, to my knowledge, I didn't see one word about lecturing on the large group of gathering. Why is that? Could it be that the media is just, they like these contradicting stories? They, they like that? Again, I I personally think this is an area, whether you're conservative, whether you're liberal, whether you're Black Lives Matter, whether you're a police officer, this – you have to – come on, guys. We have to see that this type of behavior, this type of inconsistency is pretty ridiculous. Don't tell me the news is impartial when they do stuff like this. It's pretty ridiculous. I I (laughs) – I don't even know what to say sometimes. I say that all the time, I know. But on August, uh, let's see. This was on Washington, D.C. that Friday. 
huge gathering, like I said, way more than 1,500 people. And yes, they're outdoors and, oh, they're wearing masks or, or whatever, whatever excuses you want to give. Bottom line is you shake your finger at one side and then ignore the other side. And I cannot stand that. It's unbelievable. It's very inconsistent. And I got and I got to tell you something about all these athletes that want to point the finger at police. Here's where I stand. And again, I don't know where Chuck stands on this stuff. I didn't talk to him in detail with this. These are my opinions. These are not my guests' opinions. So if you tuned in to listen to Chuck, uh, don't hold my opinions. Uh, don't hold him to my opinions. I didn't ask him these things. All right. These, this is me talking. And this isn't always the, the topics that are on on the show. But I will say it. All these athletes, spoiled brats, Chris Paul wearing a hat in his news conference uh, that says, am I next? All right. All of these, especially NBA, but I saw, I saw it in the MLB too. All of you guys calling out the police. I want personally me. I want all police officers. I want all police escorts. I want all that gone away from these professional athletes. All of these athletes who get police escorts to and from the arena, uh, from their hotel, uh, in the airport, I want all of that gone. If they hate the police so much, why why do they get police protection? Someone explain that to me. Maybe it's private security. I don't know, but I know local law enforcement at times uh, steps in and assists in some of these things. So what the district attorney, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing around here, guys, the bouncing around here, the district attorney of California instructing cops that they need to determine if the looters need the items they are stealing before the police act. What? Again, I'm saving that one for Bill Barnes because I wanted to lose his mind and I'm going to look up some more information about it. I'm just bouncing off of a few topics here. But these the NBA, Major League Baseball, I say they take any 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 law enforcement agencies that are involved in them, unless they desperately want to be around these athletes or something, uh, with, with them constantly being bad mouthed. I say, okay, you don't need law enforcement. You guys seem to need it quite a bit with your everyday lives. Yet you you bash law enforcement. All you want to talk about is law enforcement is out to kill everybody. That's what that's what cops. That's that's the society we're in is that cops just want to go around killing people. Get out of here. Stop it. I'm going to say something right now that someone will probably turn on me and, and I don't really care. It, again, a disclaimer here. This constant theory we'll say, and it is a theory. It's not factual at all, but I'll pretend to buy into it and I'll play a game with you. The LeBron James is the world, and I use him a lot because he's he's at the uh, the forefront of all a lot of these conversations. Mister Police Export Expert now, um, he uses the term "the police want to hunt people down." They want to hunt people down, and that's it's it's very common. Police just want to attack people. They want to attack black people. They want to hunt them down. Really? Those aren't my words. Those are, turn on any ESPN, turn on any, any anybody. 
that's the that's the theory. That's the narrative being pushed by athletes and the media. The police officers are just constantly attacking and hunting people down. So I have a question. We've had more gatherings of protests and rioters and looters in th- these past few months than any time I can remember. And you want to be critical of police? Okay, fine. That's that's your everyone's right to be critical of whoever. All right, but I want to discuss this theory that has been thrown around with this whole police officers just they just want they just want to kill black people. That's that's what you hear from the media, from the NBA. We are unsafe. How come in I don't even know how many there have been thousands, maybe thousands of protests, and then I'll say also thousands of of riots. Um. Thousands of situations this past few months. How come the police that are the media says just wants to kill black people? How come there hasn't been this? There's been all these confrontations, right? Police are there involved with rioter with rioters and and protest. All these altercations, yet yet police aren't firing on on black people. Sure, maybe there's been a situation. Personally, some of the things I've seen, trash cans, bricks, all these things being thrown at police, I'm shocked the police haven't opened fire on some of these people. Because you assault a police officer, you pull a knife, you throw anything at him, sorry, if I was in charge, open fire. You do not assault a police officer. You don't do it. We live in this age now where you do something and you're shocked at the, at the consequence. The cops have been put in an impossible situation these past few months where their every move is tested. Every single move. And the taunting I've seen from protesters and rioters, a bunch of cowards getting in police officers' face, calling them every name in the book, double middle, middle fingers. I've seen things thrown at cops. I've seen police officers assaulted. You all have. I've seen civilians assaulted, almost killed, and and to me, many justified examples of police in my mind and a lot of other people's minds would be justified in their actions, but they don't do it. Okay. I don't know what, I don't know why that all is, but my point of all this is this narrative that police want to hunt people down and kill them is complete BS. It's bogus. And if you opened your eyes and saw that in all of this rioting, all of this looting, all of these different assaults on police officers, countless examples where the police could use force. They haven't done it. Don't you think a racist cop, apparently all the cops are racist. Don't you think the racist cops would just open fire on people? That's what the media wants you to believe. If if all the things are true that the media says about the police, if all that's true, then how come cop the racist cops haven't been shooting everybody? Ask yourself that question. Well, the world's watching when you're protesting. The world's always watching. Every situation out there these days, there's a camera. So don't give me that. Cameras are always on. 
So there's so many racist cops out there, according to the media. They're, so, they're all racist. They just want to shoot black people. That's what you hear. It doesn't seem to fit with what's been going on the past few months. You want to bring about a situation that happened with Jacob Blake? We can get into that, and I am going to this week. I have some very strong opinions about this as more and more things come out. So, again, I talked about the media inconsistent, their lies, regarding being upset over 1,500 people on the White House lawn, but not the hundreds of people, if not thousands of people outside trying to intimidate people walking to their hotel. Just like I'm sitting here saying, wait, wait a minute, if the cops are racist, how come they haven't been opening fire on all these protests? Wouldn't that fit your media narrative? Oh, Oh, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't fit your narrative because it's not true. The media narratives are destroying this country. They have tried for months now. They've done it for years. All they do is add gasoline to the fires, literally, that are going on around the country by trying to promote their bogus agenda. That's all that's all that's happening. I'm a firm believer that most of the media is an enemy of the people. I've heard that said some other places, but I'm a, I'm a firm believer in it. I think it's I think it's absolutely true. Because there is no end into their agenda. They will they will do whatever it takes to drive their stories, their beliefs, turn the truth upside down. They will do whatever it takes. Thankfully, there's plenty of people out there who don't buy into it. There's people that stand up against evil. There's people that use common sense in this uncommon sense world we're living in. It's very unfortunate that we all have to get so fired up. We have to get to a breaking point, a point where we just can't take it anymore. And that's where I'm at, guys. Every time I see hypocrisy or or, or, police officers lied about on a daily basis, I just can't take it anymore. I'm I'm not laying down to this assault on America from the media and extreme left-wing group. I'm just not taking it anymore. I don't know where other people stand. Everyone is entitled to their opinions, their beliefs. That's what makes this country great. But when you start destroying it from within, that's where I have a real problem. And I'm not staying silent anymore. I'm speaking up. I'm speaking my mind. I'm speaking my heart. And I hope and pray that there's more people out there who will do the same. Now, 
that being said, let's get to our guest for today. <laughs> Sorry, guys. A little hot on Mondays if you guys haven't been able to tell. I definitely have a lot of bottled up as I go into the weekend. And the weekend brings out a lot of energy and news from me. I'm telling you, you get a few few nights away from the microphone, away from the podcast. Things bottle up a little bit, and so they spill over. Pretty long intro today. It is what it is. I do want to say, again, Chuck Becker, I don't know where he stands on all this stuff. I specifically talked with him about baseball, his law enforcement experience, and some of the his current opinions about what's been, what's going on, the, the kind of this assault on law enforcement. All right? So that's what's to expect here in the upcoming interview. Uh, again, he didn't know what I was going to talk about in my intro- introduction today. Uh, that's just what I have to say either the night before or the morning of when I do my recording. And I don't always know what I'm going to say. So anyway, let's get right to it. Let's take a break. Let's take a breather, if you will. And then we'll jump into our interview with retired police officer and college baseball umpire Chuck Becker. Okay, joining us today is Chuck Becker. Chuck Becker is a retired police officer from the Pomona Police Department. He was uh, quite active on the SWAT team over the years there. Uh, towards the end of his career, he, com- he was a commander on the SWAT team. Uh, I know Chuck more from baseball. Uh, we have an interesting connection, a couple different connections actually, but uh, we're going to talk about when we first met in uh, independent professional league baseball. We're going to talk about actually umpiring together in college baseball and maybe another connection or two that we have that uh, we didn't know until later in life. But it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you guys our uh, our guest today, Mr. Chuck Becker. Welcome to the program, Chuck. Thanks for having me, Matt. Chuck, uh, we talked a little bit off air beforehand. I can't stop laughing just because of the intro. It, it, <laughs> the jarred intro. Stuff, it jarred all this stuff in my head that we're, we're going to talk about. It just made me laugh. No but, worries, man. Hey, we're here to have a good time. There's uh, no pressure, no agenda, no, no anything. We're just chatting, man. And uh, oh, man, it's good to talk to you. It, it's been a long time. Um, I don't think we've chatted. I'm trying to see. I, did we work to, we didn't work any baseball games together this year in 2020, did we? There were so few, <laughs> so. No, I, I didn't know. Um, no, I, I had actually, do I have to wear a mask for this? <laughs> no, you do not. Okay, cool. No mask needed, sir. Okay. So, um, no, I had actually, as luck would have it, took the season off because I, 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 I have a new job and I wasn't going to be able to take time off for the season. Um, and then lo and behold, we don't have a season. So, yeah. I mean, I felt bad for all the guys that, that lost out on work, but in the, in the back of my head, I was kind of doing the happy dance. But um, <laughs> I think the last time you and I worked together, we were down. Uh, San Diego, maybe? Yeah, I'm thinking, um, oh gosh, what's the, uh, what's the school over by Irvine? The, the, uh, oh, Concordia. 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 We, that's right. We opened 2019. We started yeah. our season there working some, uh, yeah, yeah, D2 yeah. ball out there. That's right, yeah. man. So that was February of 2019. Uh, I recently saw you at a golf, 
uh, tournament, we'll say, with some other umpires. And, and I think that might have been the only other time I've seen you since February 2019, man. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seems like yesterday, but but yeah, if you look at it, it's just like, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> well, Chuck, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of baseball. Uh, we'll touch on, uh, you know, law enforcement a little bit. Uh, maybe a little bit of football and even, and even some golf and, and also some other, you know, like I said, little connections we have that we weren't aware of. Um, but uh, anyway, Chuck, you, you were a member of Pomona police department for a long time. You uh, recently retired uh, a few years or so, a over 30, 30 year career, you said, and uh, what's life been like retired? Uh, I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't know how I found time to work. <laughs> it's uh, um, yeah, it seems like, like retired life, um, is just as hectic as, as it was when we were working, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did 30 retired in, uh, at the end of 16, um, and, uh, have just kind of been going, you know, it, it, it never stops. It's just like endless, <laughs> endless. You're not the only person I've heard, uh, say that, that, you know, they, they get busy with something else and maybe it involves a little more golf swings. Maybe it involves a, a part-time job, whatever the case is. Uh, but yeah, looking back, uh, I'm sure over the course of your career, you saw plenty of things and, and did, was law enforcement something you always knew you wanted to go into at a young age? No, absolutely not. Um, and you know, it's kind of funny too. Let me, let me back up. Sure. I had a thought before we segued into that, but um it, you know, it's funny because after doing 30 years of that job where it's just your life day in and day out, I found it kind of remarkable for me um, how hard it was to kind of decompress, mm-hmm. you know, and, and get away from all of that. And so the first few months of retirement um, were kind of just about that. And uh, but then it's funny because after you finally get to that point, then it's like, OK, now what's next? And, and your life, can, you know, kind of continues. So it was kind of strange. But uh, so back to what you were talking about. Um, no, I did not always want to be a, a cop. I actually, I grew up in Northern California. Um, I, I didn't have any law enforcement family. My, my, my stepdad, who, who pretty much raised us our, our whole lives, um, was a fire marshal in one of the Northern counties. And they were kind of, they had like kind of arrest powers in, in certain situations and stuff like that. But aside from that, no, I, there was no law enforcement in our family. I had, uh, it wasn't like a childhood dream. Um, I came down to Southern California to go to school at uh, UC Riverside. I was in the biomed program and uh, honestly and truly decided that that was way too much work and way too much studying and I was having way too much fun. Um, so I ended up, you know, kind of blowing that off and then lo and behold, at the end of four years later, um, with a sociology degree, which pretty much meant nothing, um, going, what am I going to do? I got to get a job. And one of the guys I actually was in the dorm with, uh, his dad was an LAPD uh, sergeant. And uh, he kind of, because he was going, he, he was going to transition over to veterinarian, uh, veterinary school. And, uh, you know, he was always kind of the one who said, well, if this doesn't work out, we can always go work for LAPD. 
And uh, we always, you know, we would kind of laugh about it a little bit and that'd be the end of that. But it's <laughs> kind of funny now because that's exactly how it ended up. Not LAPD, but I ended up going into law enforcement. So <laughs> that's how I ended up there. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, just kind of uh, one day you made the decision to say, all right, well, let's go give this a try. And uh, I mean, w- when you were kind of joining it, when you were going to the academy and everything, I mean, you were all in at that point, right? I mean, you you kind of knew, all right, this is, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way and, and put in uh, my entire life into this, basically. Yeah, you know, I again, being a 21-year-old kid, you don't really think about the future, um, not at least not cognitively, I didn't. Um, but I, like I said, I had to get a job. Fortunately, the city of Pomona hired me um, right out of college. Uh, they paid for me to go to the academy. So I was not only did they pay, but I was getting paid. Um, and there were, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of guys in that class that put themselves through. And so they had that expense. And then they also had no income coming in during that time. So I was fortunate. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, it was like, I I loved the academy. I, I, I had a blast. It was, it was really it was really fun and uh, started working and, you know, it just kind of snowballed and kept going. And literally before you know it, it's done. Mm-hmm. And you kind of go, where did it go? You know, that was, that was really fast when you're, when you're out there doing it, sometimes it's not very fast, obviously, but um, yeah, it just ended up being, I never, I never, ever really thought about doing anything else. Well, and, and I know that there's various positions uh, in law enforcement, um, you know, out on, out on the streets or, you know, behind a desk or, you know, dis- there's all these different uh, positions and different environments, we'll say. Um, from what I know about you, uh, it sounds like you, you've gone through uh, a, a few different fields. You, you eventually at one point were involved in the, in the SWAT team. And again, did that, was that something that just kind of came up and you, and you said, all right, this is something that suits me. I mean, cause I got to imagine it takes a certain mentality to be involved in that unit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. So I started in 88. Um, and there's debate at, at Pomona PD. Well, most of the guys are probably gone by now. I don't mean physically not working. I mean, gone, gone. Um, there was debate about when the first SWAT team at Pomona started. Um, some say it was back in the 70s, and then it got disbanded, blah, blah, blah. But when it really started at Pomona was 1991. That's when it was an actual, hey, we're giving you uniforms, you get equipment, you have your own office, you're going to, uh, we're going to give you everything, you, all the tools you need. So when it started in 91, I was still super young. Um, I'd only been in the, in the job for three or four years. Um, but there there wasn't a, a huge gene pool, if you will, um, just because Pomona is kind of a smaller agency. Uh, so when they're trying to pick 20 members for this thing, yeah. You know, yeah, by the time you go through the physical aspect of it and, and the tryout and all that kind of stuff, a lot of guys got weeded out in a hurry. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I kind of fell into it a little bit again, lucky because of just the way things worked out. But then once I was in it, um, 
yeah, it was just like, it, it was super, I mean, come on, it's fun. But let's be real, it's just fun. You get to shoot guns, you get to run around, you get to jump, jump over stuff, you get to come out of really cool trucks and, and have all this really cool gear. I mean, come on. That's, let's just be honest and call it what it is. It was just fun. <laughs> oh, man, good stuff. Well, well, at some point in your career, Chucky, you were pretty well established, I got to imagine, because you started at a pretty young age. And right around the time uh, you were 40 years old, give or take, uh, around 2005, uh, you got this idea to go to umpire school, professional umpire school at the Wendelstadt School of Florida. And kind of what went into that thought process? Because you really hadn't umpired much before. And, and why, as a, as a guy who's got over 10 years, probably closer to, man, almost 15, 20 years at that point, why would someone well-established in a police department go to umpire school? Ignorance. <laughs> Naive, naivete and ignorance. Uh, no, I mean, like most kids, I grew up playing baseball. And um, unfortunately, I never had the, the, the physical talent to, to make it anywhere. Um, I tried out for the baseball team at UC Riverside as a walk-on when I went to school there. I made it to the last cut, but um, I couldn't hit a curveball. And my arm wasn't strong enough to, uh, to play outfield, so uh, I got cut. Um, but loved the game. I mean, grew up loving the game. Um, can't say enough about, about the game and, and, and uh, what it's brought, you know, as far as friendships and things like that just throughout the years. I just, I don't know, I just love the game. So um, I had actually... Uh, I talked to my wife about going. Um, it was always kind of a dream just to, just to go because I didn't know anything about it. Then, then it was, uh, I think we were down to, when I originally started looking, it was the Wendelstadt School um, and the Brinkman School. Mm -hmm. I think, is that right? Oh, or no, God. Brinkman and Evans, right? Oh, I'm not sure. Well, I think Evan, Brinkman became Evans, I think. I think, I, think that's was, a I think it was Wendelstadt and Brinkman. Okay, that sounds right. And uh, so anyway, I had, I, I wrote and I got the flyers because then there was no internet really. So um, they, they sent me all the stuff in the mail and I sat on it for a while and decided finally in, in 05, I had enough vacation time at work saved up. My wife was good with it. Um, I had to take five weeks, off, you know, five weeks off of work to go to school, uh, the outlay for all the equipment and all that stuff. And I said, screw it. I'm just going to go do it. Um, with delusions of grandeur uh, in my head, not like you said, I didn't umpire before. I mean, my, my knowledge of umpiring and what it involved in the process was, um, uh, was basically zero. Um, so my, my, my naive thinking of the whole thing was, okay, look, I'm fortunate. I live in Southern California. There's, first of all, there's a lot of baseball here. And then second of all, uh, we have the Cal League, the A-ball. And so I'm thinking in my small little peanut brain, well, hey, that would be great. I can, I can finish out my career as a cop. I can go work some baseball games out here on the side <laughs> as a minor league umpire, and it'll all be good. So off to school I went. And day one, uh, I, I realized something was wrong with this picture. 
<laughs> do tell. Do do explain to our uh, to our guests here, Chuck. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> well, aside from the instructors, um, you know the the pro guys. I'm not even talking about the 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 guys that actually did the instructing. You know the 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 minor leaders. Um, I was probably one of the one of the oldest guys in the room. And I looked around and went, why are all these kids 18, 19, 20 years old? And, and why are the instructors 21, 22 years old? Um, and I kind of just was a little shell-shocked because, again, I'd invested all this money and I invested all this time. And, and I was like, what is going on? So, yeah, I go through, I go through school. And uh, things are, you know, I'm learning how to umpire. And, well, not how to umpire. I'm learning, I'm learning the mechanics of umpiring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we're getting towards the end of the school. And now, you know, they're starting to talk about jobs, 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 jobs. And all these guys are nutted up and they're all freaking out and sweating. And, and you know, we get roll call in the morning in the cafeteria or in the, in the, in the hall. And, and they're all sweating bullets. And, and I'm like, what, what is wrong with you guys? Well, so the last day of school, basically, they call you in one at a time and they tell you whether or not you've gotten hired by Major League Baseball and they tell you your scores and all of that. And then, or, and then if you're one of those, one of the ones on the bubble, you know, they try to get you come back for a second, a second school. So I actually went and sat and uh, one of the guys that was, that was in front of me uh, was Eddie Hickox, who is a uh, major league umpire, and he's also a detective for uh, an agency in Florida. And they kind of figured out who I was and what my story was. Um, Hunter Wendelstadt knew it right when I went there the first day. For some reason, I guess he read bios or whatever. And mm -hmm. so he, he knew who I was. So I'm sure it flew around pretty fast that I was this cop from California, and I'm 40 years old, and what the hell is he doing here? <laughs> so... <laughs> but nobody wanted to like clue you in right so I'm pretty I kind of at this point I'm kind of thinking it was a game for them they were like having fun with it you know um but anyway so I go through the school and it, it, he's sitting in front of me and he goes all right um I can't tell you this but I'm gonna tell you this this is how this works and I went oh so Cal League games are probably not in the future, right? <laughs> and he's like, ah. without saying anything, he said a lot. And I then packed up my bags and my gear. And I flew back home to Southern California and I went back to my, my police job. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how my baseball career started. Yeah. Hey, uh, I guess uh, <laughs> for those that don't know, you go to umpire school and it's mostly guys in their twenties and they want you young because they figure if you're going to have a shot at the big leagues, you've got to start at a young age and put probably on average 10 years into the minor leagues and then maybe get that big league call uh, in your early thirties, mid thirties. Uh, some guys, maybe their late thirties, but, and then have a 25 year major league career. That's kind of the outline, if you will, if there is one. Uh, so yeah, for Chuck to go in his forties, just to kind of, yeah, I just want to go fill in, in the Cal league. It kind of doesn't work that way. Uh, but Chuck, because you went to that school and you obviously had the background in law enforcement, he didn't have any real umpiring experience yet. Uh, 
I know you, you told me you worked a year of high school ball, but you ended up working professional baseball a year or two later in what was then known as the Golden Baseball League, an independent league in Southern California. How did that happen? How did you get picked up for that? Well, when I, when I came back from school, um, I, I, had, I had learned how everything kind of worked. And, you know, they said, well, you got to get in touch with your local high school assigner. So I did that, um, got into Foothill Citrus Baseball and uh, worked a year of high school ball doing, you know, single man freshman games. And if you were lucky, you could get a two man game once or twice <laughs> in your first year, you know, how that, how that went. And I, you know, I, I always wanted to move up. I wanted to, if I couldn't go into professional baseball, I always wanted to work my way up through college ball. And they always, you know, they, they talked about it and they, they said, you can do it. It's a long road. You got to work, your, you know, work hard and you got to do this. You got to do that. Well, one of the things that we had to do um, was go to one of the local combines, like a two man combine, um, which I did. Um, so I go to this combine uh, and it's run by um, Tom Heiler and uh, Dan Perigini. Uh, Rich Padilla was there at the time. I think Ruben Shavira was one of the instructors there. I, I remember it was a long time ago. But so I go to this combine, and at the end of it, it was like a two day thing. Uh, at the end of that, uh, Dan Perigini walked up to me and handed me his, uh, his business card, and uh, he said, You want to come work in the Golden League? And I said, um, What's the Golden League? <laughs> he, he said it's a, it's it's independent minor league ball here in southern california primarily and but and i'm like uh yeah of course i do so um he said okay I'll, I'll get in touch uh so a while later he did um and i got to go spend two weeks of unpaid uh vacation in Yuma, Arizona, in the Arizona Winter League, uh, which is was the, the breeding ground and the, and the tryout spot for the Golden League. Um, and that's kind of a funny story in and of itself. I, it was supposed to be a four-week deal, and I told Dan, I said, first off, I just got back from umpire school not too long ago. Um, my wife will literally kill me if I leave for four weeks and go to Yuma, Arizona to go not get paid to work baseball. So he goes, I get it, I get it, I get it. So I said, look, I'll give you the last, last two weeks. Um, but I got, I got to be able to come home, go back and forth, whatever, if I need to. He said, no problem. So I go to Yuma. I drive to Yuma, um, which is a godforsaken drive as it is. Uh, I get into Yuma at about five in the afternoon. And I timed it so that I could go to the game that night because they were, there was, I think, I don't know, it might have been a Friday night, I don't remember. But I timed it so I can get there. I, I can meet the guys, say, hey, how you doing? Um, and then go watch the game for a little while and then go to the hotel. So I get in there and, and the locker room at Yuma was out in, way out in center field. And uh, so I find the, the umpire room and uh, go in and there, there's, umpires in there. There's, uh, Jeff Cisneros is there. Uh, Gene Fiebig, um, Gary Camp, 
they're, they're, they're in there and they've been working two games a day, every day for two weeks straight. And uh, I walk in the locker room and they're like, hey, nice to meet you. Strap them on. You're on the plane. <laughs> I go, yeah, right, whatever. And, and Gene Phoebic goes, no, dude, I'm taking the night off. You're in. And walked out of the locker room. And left. I, had to like, I had to go out to my car, get my bag. I, I hadn't even unpacked at the hotel yet. And I ended up doing the freaking plate uh, that night in the golden league (laughs) fantastic well well uh chuck it was it was funny that you know here you and i are talking in the year 2020 but it was in the year 2020 so i don't know how you say it 2007 2007 however people say it uh while you were working the golden league uh there happened to be uh this college uh intern young man uh named matt hersema whose job it was uh, before the games for the Fullerton Flyers to walk down the steps all the way to the umpire locker room. And I had this interest in umpires at the time as far as getting into umpiring. And so I was like almost volunteered for the job. Let me go get the umpire's name so I could talk to the guys. And I went down there and that is the first time we met. I walked in the room. I had my little clipboard. You were uh, rubbing up baseballs. And I said, hi, what's your name? I'm here to get your name. And you said, Chuck Becker. And we didn't say a whole lot to each other, but I remember those uh, moments because you worked there a lot at Fullerton, with Fullerton Flyers, man. And it's hard to believe that's where we first met. Yeah, it was crazy. I don't even, how old were you then? Uh, 20, uh, 22. 22. Yeah. God. So who <laughs> knew? Who knew uh, that we'd end up uh, working together? And then. Uh, <laughs> And then even more so, I guess we'll talk about that you know, a little bit later, but how we would end up being connected uh, through other means too. It's just yeah. Like, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, we, we worked, uh, we'll get into college baseball here, but, but we could say it now. I mean, what's also hilarious, so not only did in 2007 did we meet, just me with a clipboard and you uh, telling me who the umpires were, talking a little bit of baseball with you guys. Uh, but then all these years later, I start dating a young lady named Valerie Burns, in uh, 2016 and her uncle and her grandfather both worked for Pomona police department. And you happened to work alongside both of those guys at one point in Archie Johnson and Daryl Johnson. So the world just got smaller. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. I mean, it's funny because Southern California, especially like in the, in the, in the IE it's, it's small as it is. And there's always some type of connection, but you know, from way back in, in 07 in Fullerton <laughs> to, to where we ended up, it, it's, it's pretty trippy. It's uh, really, really a small world. Oh, oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. So I know Archie was kind of towards the end of his career and Daryl, uh, you, you worked alongside him uh, here and there uh, for the Pomona police department. So just interesting stuff for sure. Well, well let me ask you about the, the golden league Chuck. was, I, was that experience all that you thought it would be? Was it more? Was it less? Did you get your true professional baseball experience that you really were seeking out when you went to umpire school in 05? Well, I'll preface that by saying I don't really know what I was seeking out, really, mm-hmm. I, I, because I didn't, I didn't really understand it. I thought mm-hmm. I, I had, you know, you think you have an idea. Um, 
until you're until you're in it and then you go i had no clue um but to answer your question in a word yeah it did um you know independent baseball is a tough that that's a tough life um there's not a lot of money in the leagues uh most of them fold uh the ones that have been around for a long time you know there's a few northwoods league and and uh the one that you do, uh, the what, uh, Atlantic Association, American Association, the Atlantic League's another one that's Atlantic pretty League. good. Yeah, you know, and those have been around for a while and they're established. Um, but by and large, independent leagues kind of come and go, and so it's in that aspect, um, it's it's hard because. Uh, I know there were a lot of complaints in the Golden League w with guys not getting paid and and uh, things things like that. But my experience was I never had any issues. Um, I I got to travel. I mean, I, I did baseball in Mexico. I did baseball in Canada. I did baseball uh, in uh, different states. Um, so to not be able to go to affiliated ball um was kind of a blow maybe more to my ego than anything else because i figured it was going to be easy mm -hmm. um but to be able to to segue into some semblance of professional baseball um was was still pretty cool and it was yeah. a really it was a good experience i really um the experience that i got there was invaluable and uh it was, it was, I mean, in a nutshell, it was a blast. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you kind of, you thrown into that and I had the, I worked independent ball kind of after taking some time off and of getting out of the affiliated baseball. Uh, and, and I was a little worried about going to do it because I had seen as a civilian, we'll say as an intern, just how crazy independent games could get independent league where guys, you know, maybe don't behave <laughs> as they should, or they're out of control. I mean, you had your fair share of experiences. You were around ex big leaguers, uh, all, all kinds of stuff like that. So it had to be interesting going from umpire school, then to work in freshman one man games. And then all of a sudden you're working these professional independent baseball leagues, really just like that. So what, what were, what are a couple stories maybe you have from working professional baseball at that level? I'm sure you have a couple. Um, well, yeah, I mean, how could you not? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's probably more, more than I can even remember really. Cause you're so, you know, in, in the thick of it at the time, I do remember a couple, um, my first real experience of, of, well, let me, let me rephrase it. My first real experience where I realized how naive I am or was uh, to the game, I was working early in the season. I was working one at Fullerton. It was probably the night that you came in the locker room and you jinxed me. Uh, <laughs> so I'm on the plate and, uh, and uh, Mike Marshall was the manager for the uh, Yuma Scorpions. And so Mike's over in the, he's coaching, he's coaching third base and he would go back and forth between innings or half innings. So one of his guys is up and I ring him up on a, on a, I called it, it was an outside corner pitch. So he, uh, he goes to the dugout, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, inning or two later, I'm standing on the foul line or we're over by the circle or whatever, doing my looking at my scorecard, whatever the, whatever the fuck I was doing. I don't know. But Mike Marshall comes up alongside me. And uh, he goes, Chuck, I got a problem. And I go, Mike, what's up? As, as the hook gets set, right? Yeah. I'm like fish head at this point. And uh, he goes, I got to get a new first baseman. I go, what's wrong? Is he hurt? So I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my lineup card at this point, right? I'm like, he's going to make a change. All right. And uh, he goes, no, man, he's not hurt. He, uh, he says he can't hit that outside pitch. And if he can't hit that outside pitch, I got to get a new first baseman because I need somebody that can hit that. And he walked down to third base, went to the coach's box. So I take my pitches and I'm sitting there and the batter comes up and first pitch comes in. I call that or whatever. And I'm thinking, cause my head now, my head won't stop. I'm replaying the conversation in my head over and over and over again at about 8,000 RPM. And I go, motherfucker. He just came up to me and argued balls and strikes and stuck it up my butt and then walked away. And I did nothing about it. <laughs> so I'm like, son of a gun. All right. Okay, that one goes in the locker. That goes in the back of my brain. That goes in the locker. So he, he came back by me again. I looked at him, and, and I just kind of winked at him. And then he kind of winked back at me. And uh, I was like, okay, that's one. Mike Marshall won, Chuck none. Yeah, one. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna even that one up someday. <laughs> that, that was my introduction to professional baseball pretty much right there. That's what people don't get that it's – it is, it's a mind baseball is a mind game anyway. Like there's so many conversations like that, where it's the game within the game. It's, it's playing chess when other people are playing chess checkers. And yeah, it took you, like you said, a few pitches to realize, wait a minute. He yeah. said that he said it without saying it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How did he, yeah. how did he do that? Yeah, and, if I, and if I had a brain, if I could think that fast, my response now, 20, 30 years later, yeah. however long it's been <laughs> after still mulling it over every time it comes into my brain, you know, obviously my answer would have been, cause I'm not going to run him for that. Cause it, it, it's whatever it would look stupid, but Mike, you don't have to get rid of him. Get him a longer bat. <laughs> it would have been that simple. Right. And, but no, I just took it in the shorts and he reeled me in and, and that was the way it was, but it was a, it was a really good learning experience. And, so, and that, so, so was it, I mean, you hear stuff like that in, in professional baseball, you see that, I mean, you're not, it's not like you weren't somebody who is aware. I mean, at that point you had, you had been working 15 years as a cop or whatever, almost 20 years. So it's not like you hadn't seen things kind of the inside ins and outs of things at a, a different level and, and seeing how things are. But again, professional baseball that's someone who's been in baseball a very long time right Mike Marshall yeah. uh and he just kind of uh, got one by you there <laughs> he got one by me you know and it, I I, I kind of I was kind of grateful for it really after after I let it sink in because he taught me a lesson which I kind of think maybe to this day uh he might have done on purpose you know test you um, to feel you out yeah, that and and I don't know. There's a there's an ignorant part of me that that says in in my head, maybe he was trying to teach me, you know, because I I'm in this league where 
you know, like you said earlier, um, they're not very well behaved. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a little more animalistic than, than affiliated ball as far as behavior goes and, and, and what you have to let go or, or how you deal with things that normally you wouldn't let go or, you know, how, just how you manage that game um, is, is a lot different. And those little um, incidents that happen that, that you can put in your toolbox and learn from um, were invaluable. And, and they, they really, they, they helped later on down my, down my college career too. Oh, I, I bet. Like, invaluable is a great word. Uh, absolutely. And, and what are some of uh, maybe a couple other stories or kind of uh, little memories you have from pro, pro ball? I mean, recently, Chuck, I was talking on the program with, uh, uh, well, not with Bill Barnes, but beforehand with him about kind of the unwritten rules of baseball and how the game is, the game is so weird. It, it's, it's like this slow evolving game that doesn't change a lot. Some things change, but th- some things never change. Did you get a taste of that maybe from some of your experiences, some memories there? Yeah. Um, yeah. The game, you know, it evolves with, with life. Um, but then on the, the other side of that coin is the game doesn't evolve. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's tradition and there's, there's rules and there's um, unwritten rules and there's etiquette and there's, uh, just all kinds of factors that go into the game. And it, it's funny, my wife, my wife will not go to a baseball game. <laughs> Don't do it. Be care less. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit and I said, well, what is it? She goes, the game is boring as hell. There's way too much downtime. There's not enough action. It's boring. And I don't want to sit there for four hours and watch boring. And I said, I understand. I get it. But from the umpire perspective, when you're, when you're in it and you see all the moving parts and you see the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and you, you hear the conversations and, and, you know, between catchers and batters and, and just the stuff that people in the stands can't even hear. Um, you get such a, a, a different perspective of the game within the game, oh, yeah. which makes it interesting. It doesn't make it more interesting to watch, but from from our camera where we sit, it makes it a hell of a lot more interesting. So I was I actually listened to the podcast um, that you were talking about when you were talking about the unwritten rules before you went on with Bill. And one of the things that came to mind was, you know, you talk about how the game has evolved or not evolved in some ways, but I don't remember what year it was. Uh, I was working a, a game at Long Beach with the Armada. And, you know, independently, there's only so many teams. So you see these guys quite a bit throughout the, the season. I don't remember how many games they played, somewhere around 60 or 70, I think it was. Um, but you get to know them after a year or two. You know, you're like, like I'm sure the pro guys do, like you did in minor ball. And everybody kind of starts to know everybody a little bit. So I'm working a game and, and Buddy Morales was catching for the Armada. And we're, we're doing our thing and the game's going along and whatever, whatever. Um, there was, ended up being a runner on second ball hit to the gap in left center. And I don't remember who it was that was the runner. I don't even remember the team, but I remember 
watching the, the guy from second come around because one of your responsibilities as a home plate umpire is to actually watch him touch the plate so that there's no arguments about that later. So I'm standing there watching everything and I'm, I'm, I'm going, that ball's all the way to the wall. And if you've been to Long Beach, you know how deep it is there. Um, I'm like, he, he, could, he could skip all the way home and, and still beat any kind of throw that's going to come in. So I'm not really setting up for anything or anything. I'm just kind of paying attention to what's going on. And I see this kid come around third and he has a full head of steam. And I'm thinking, what in the shit is he doing? Does he not know that they're not going to make a play on him? The third base coach wasn't even waving him around. There, there was nothing. And he proceeds. Now, Buddy's standing kind of at the front of the plate, out in the dirt. And he proceeds to come in and just truck Buddy blindside and knocks him clear out of the dirt circle, ass over tea kettle. Helmet goes flying off, mask goes flying off, glove goes flying off. I'm pretty sure he probably knocked one of his shin guards off, too. He hit him so hard. And I'm like, what in the shit just happened? The benches kind of start coming out, and I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. Here we go. And they come out, but they're not really coming out, coming out. So the other two guys I'm working with, they come down. We get everybody. We put them back in the dugouts. Buddy now leaves the game because he can't uh, see straight. He's bleeding out of his ear. And uh, so a couple innings later, the new catcher's in for Long Beach. And I go, hey, man, what the hell was that all about? And because we hadn't gotten anything. Normally, if there's an issue between teams, you get you kind of get a heads up from either your other umpires or from your, you know, your assigner or the commissioner. Somebody's going to tell you that there's probably going to be a problem. So you're expecting it. And uh, nothing. So I, I, I don't remember who the catcher was that replaced him, but I said, hey, what was that about? And, and he goes, oh, man, it's about a girl. <laughs> and, and these guys going back and forth on Facebook. Oh, stop. No. So the <laughs> whole thing evolved on Facebook, apparently. So I, to, to go back to what you were saying about how the game evolves and stuff and how it uh, the unwritten rules and, and how things change and don't change. The, the invent of social media, um, even way back then, uh, has, wow. left, has obviously left its mark on, on, on baseball. You know, that's it's weird. 13 years ago, man. And that's still social media is pretty new at that time. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was, I was floored by it. I'm like, you guys gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Uh, Chuck, so, I'll tell you that was not the first time, nor will that be the last time something like that happens. Um, uh, I'm sure. And, and, and it's hilarious. As you mentioned, so many people who watch baseball or baseball fans, they don't know about all these little discussions. Sometimes it's not on social media. It's there on the field or throughout the season. You are the eyes and ears of a lot of these conversations, these feuds. And ultimately, you got to be the uh, separator. You get in between all these people at times and uh, manage all this stuff. So that's a huge difference in professional baseball than other levels of baseball, for sure. Yeah, you don't, you don't, get, that. You don't get that in college. Now, I'm sure, you know, in college baseball, I'm sure the social media stuff is still kind of, kind of there. But as far as what they're what they do and, and how they act on the field, um, it, yeah, it's it's night and day, really. I mean, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so Chuck, after, after uh, some time in the golden league and, you know, professional baseball and independence level side of things, um, you started working college baseball. You started working all the different levels at community college, uh, division two, uh, and then eventually division one is the kind of, you did that for a few years before um, kind of stepping away from that for kind of a, a, a new part-time job you're doing in retirement here from your uh, police officer uh, duties. But tell me about your, your college baseball experience. Was it odd going from this professional level of baseball and then working college ball? Did you see a difference right away? Not just in the level, the skill level, but the conversations, the, the, the things coaches cared about at that level, the, the way the players acted. I mean, t- tell me about kind of the transition there. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it's normally the other way around. You, you know, you kind of do things in the other order. So you come up, you know, you come up with um, the more strict, um, the more proper, if that's, if that's the right word, probably not. But, you know, college baseball, they're, you know, they're students first, um, then they're athletes, allegedly. Um, but there's more, you know, uh, I don't know what the, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but there's, there's, there's more rules and there's more, there's more focus on what they can't do than what they can do. Um, you know, in, in an umpiring role, a lot of times you're enforcing, you know, bench jockeying rules and you're, you know, and a lot of it is from an umpire perspective, it's, it's hard because you feel like you're, you're playing a parent out there and babysitting. Yeah, you're not, not officiating a ball game. Yeah, you're babysitting the the, yeah. the kids that are uh, trying to act like adults, and it's like, no, you're acting like kids. Right, right. So to go from pro ball, where you know that's not an issue, mm-hmm. um, but you know it's funny because there there are other issues. It's <laughs> the conversations, the the you know, the MF in each other and, and the stuff that those guys say, sometimes you're like, Oh my God. And, uh, and, you know, as an umpire, you officiate those games differently too. You know, you got to know or learn um, when to get involved, when not to get involved, let the game take care of itself, let the players take care of themselves. Um, what you can say to players, you know, where, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, where, where, where in a college game, uh, you know, kid says something and, and you just run them. That's just it. You're just done. You know, you don't, you don't mess with them. You don't talk to them. It, that's not how it works. Whereas, you know, in, especially in indie ball, um, you might be able to give that guy what he's got coming from, from an umpire um, and, and not run him maybe, or, you know, um, handle it just a little bit differently than you would in a college game. So that transition where you're used to dealing with people a certain way and handling situations a certain way to almost, almost back up because like I said, it's normally a progression the other way forward. Mm -hmm. Now you're kind of backing up your umpiring to a different level. And I think a lot of the pro guys will, will, maybe hopefully to some degree agree with that, you know, where they've worked that kind of ball and then came into college ball after they've gotten released or, or whatever. And it's sometimes it's a tough transition, especially the, the longer you're in pro ball to be able to go back to the college game and, and deal with 
how they want those games officiated. Yes, I think there's so much truth in that, in that coaches at the college level, they, they care about different things than managers or coaches do in the professional level. It's just you're dealing with an older, more mature player in um, professional ball. Not all of them played in college, but a lot of them did. And, and yeah, there is this, uh, this rah-rah atmosphere in college. It's just there's so many other things you got to worry about that aren't even related to an angle or, or how you see a pitch or anything like that. It's like more on your plate that you got to worry about. So um, yeah, yeah. that's definitely was my experience as well. Uh, we'll, we'll check you college baseball. It's all about availability and you were still working, you know, for the police department at the time. So finding time to be available to work college baseball, not all schools have lights, uh, some play at two, three o'clock, even if there's a six o'clock game, you got to leave work sometimes by one or two. So what was it like for you, especially towards the end of your police career where you had to find time to work baseball? I mean, were there times where you were kind of losing money or, you know, was, was baseball becoming an expensive hobby for you uh, by some, in some regards because of what it took to get to places on time? Yeah, um, that was another as part of the the, the naivete of of the game. Um, I, I didn't realize how you know how how it worked. And fortunately, I had an employer that um, was really good with it. Um, as long as I burned, you know, my vacation time or we earned comp time, which was you know you could take overtime for pay or for comp time and put it on the books. You could take time off. Uh, that way as well. Um, you know, but I would, especially when I got to like the, the sergeant and the lieutenant level, um, where I had people working underneath me, uh, other supervisors and, and quasi supervisors. Um, I was fortunate because they all knew that I did baseball and they all knew that probably he's going to be gone, uh, Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday. Um, <laughs> So I always made a deal with them, you know, and I said, look, and my wife, God love her, um, was amazing about, about all of it. We would, if we had to have Christmas on December 14th, we would have Christmas on December 14th. And you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, yeah. she, she worked with it for years. She worked with it. And, uh, but fortunately at, at work, I had guys that, that knew I did it. And as soon as they knew, as soon as the baseball schedule came out, and you know how that is when you're sitting on Arbiter and you're waiting for those games to start popping up and you're like, let's go, let's go, waiting for that thing to fill up. And then now it's, now it's calendar everything. Now let's, okay, that's a travel day. That's not a travel day. I can, I can wait. I can do this. I can do that. But I would literally give the sergeants when I was a lieutenant and my corporal when I was a sergeant, my baseball schedule and say, here it is. So you can have all the holidays. You can go be with your family, um, but you got to be here for me on these because I'm going to be gone. And it all worked out. Thank, thank God all the way around. Um, and like I said, my, 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 my employer was, was always good with it. Um, so I was very fortunate in that regard. But as far as monetarily it went, uh, it was a losing venture for probably um, 10 of the 12 years. Wow. 10 of the last 12 years. Yeah. You know, especially like if you're working a, you know, working a JC ball game, I'm sorry, community college ball game. 
to use the correct term, the PC term. I know. <laughs> Uh-oh. Did I lose you, Chuck? Can I hear, I see, I'm trying to hear you. Did we mute, what happened? No. There you go, you're back. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, so I said Saracoso. I gotta go to Saracoso, right? Oh my Lord. So, um, Ridgecrest from my house at the time, if I remember right, was 147 miles one way. Um, <laughs> and they initially, well, they, they did have lights. I don't remember exactly how it worked, but basically I would have to leave work two or three hours early before the game, the scheduled game time to get up there. And then it would take me, well, however long the game went. <laughs> and then two hours to come home. Um, for $110. Well, if I had sat at work that whole time at my, at my pay rate, um, <laughs> I think you could probably just estimate and do the math and, uh -huh, and, uh -huh. and understand that I was taking a loss on my taxes for my baseball career for a really long time. And, and that's something that people just don't understand. They don't understand that, you know, umpires, guys who show up, yes, we want to do this job. We want to be there. Uh, but guys, they don't understand that it's taken uh, either leaving work early or taking the entire day off, wh whatever the case is, to to be at that field, to be at that school. And at the Division One level, you're compensated pretty well. But the other levels, uh, on paper, it looks cool. Oh man, 150 bucks or whatever it is now, 100, you know. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. But it's you're almost breaking even or losing money sometimes for some guys. Yeah, well, I mean, just take a, just take a, let's just say best case scenario, you're working a, a college game at 150 bucks. Well, the game goes on a good day, it goes two, two and a half. Mostly it's three, three and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. Let's say it takes you an hour to get there, hour to get home. Now you're five hours into this. Now take that $150 and divide it by five. You know, you're making mm -hmm. 30 bucks an hour, maybe if you're lucky. And that's if everything goes right, not including mm -hmm. your gas and, and all of that. Um, you know, Rich Padilla, Rich Padilla used to always say, it's not a vocation, it's an avocation. Yeah, we do it because we love it. And, and that's the bottom line. Um, you're, you're not going to get rich doing baseball. Um, yes, at the Division One level, it, it is a lot more substantial. You You can... You can, you know, if you're really lucky, you can make money at it. But for the most part, you're not losing. Um, it's not like not like college basketball, college football. You know, the sports that have the big draws and the and the the bigger, you know, chess um, to dig into. But uh, I think at the end of the day, you either you either love the game and you like love to do it, or you don't, because you certainly don't do it for the money. Yeah, I hear you there. And, and uh, unfortunately for a lot of us, it takes us some time to realize that. I, I'm definitely <laughs> in, in that boat for sure. There's a few other guys I've talked to recently, uh, specifically because of the way this year went, where our season was cut short. We were you know, yeah. not even a third of the way through it yet. And, and all that money went away. So it, it's definitely an eye-opening experience. But even during the season, all the money looks good on paper. But when you take into account all the money you spend to make that money as well, uh, it doesn't always add up. So I'm at kind of a crossroads myself. Uh, I, I'm going to 
work baseball if if I can, but I also know that I'm not going to let it hold me back from anything either. I do, I do need to personally uh, get involved into some more uh, steady income type things here real soon. Uh, well, well, Chuck, one other thing that kind of, it didn't really work out. You, you had a great passion for it. And I can totally relate to this because I'm the same way with it was high school football. Um, you know, you, you grew up or not grew up, but you, your officiating career has been this baseball based. And then all of a sudden, I remember you and I talking high school football, man. And for a couple of years, you were all about it, all into it. And uh, unfortunately, just kind of with time commitments and other things, it didn't work out. But just tell me your thoughts on uh, officiating high school football. That was probably um, the most fun I had on a field as far as officiating went in the totality of time, if that makes sense. Yes, I had a yes. blast doing baseball in oh, increments. Yes, you know, yes. <laughs> there, were, there, were, there were fun times and, and then there were some not so fun times. Um, but I'll tell you what, from the moment you walk on that football field until the moment you walk off of it, uh, I had an absolute blast doing, doing football. And it was just high school. And I don't, I don't mean just high school, but, you know, with as fast as those kids are and how fast that game is, you don't realize it until you're down there standing in the middle of it. Um, oh my God, those kids fly. And, <laughs> and to, to be able to sit there and witness some of that stuff and, and uh, appreciate the athleticism of those kids is, is amazing. And the officiating, you know, we, we've talked about this before too. Um, in a baseball game, you're out there by yourself. Yeah, there may be two or three other guys on the field with you, but for the most part, you're kind of, you, you, you all have your little independent jobs and there's really not a lot of, um, I don't even know what, not communication, but yeah, kind of communication too, you know, mm -hmm. but on a football field where you're dealing with all those officials and, and everybody, it just seemed like more of a um, uh, cohesive crew in what you're doing than, than, than baseball was. I, it was just a little different environment, which, which was kind of a, a nice little break too, I thought. Well, you worked in the uh, Foothill Citrus unit, uh, which is the same unit I did and the, the same unit you worked baseball way back when. And um, it was only a couple of years, right? Maybe three years or so? I, I think um, actually I did uh, two seasons. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I felt bad because, um, I, like I said, I, I really enjoyed doing it. Um, again, not a sport that you, you know, you do to, to make a living at. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's just a blast. Yeah. It, it really is. And, and the guys that you're working with are all, all really good guys. And, they're, you know, the locker room's fun and, and, and being on the field is fun. And the, the hype of Friday night is fun. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're, when you're still employed and especially in my position at that point, I was the Lieutenant. So I was a watch commander. Um, and I always worked weekends because that's when all the good stuff happened. So I always had to be there for that. Um, <laughs> to take a Friday night off, you know, at, at a substantial, you know, hourly rate. Mm -hmm. um, it just didn't make financial sense. It got to the point where I just, 
as much as I loved it, um, it just didn't make sense. And with as much time as I was burning uh, during the baseball season, traveling and, and doing, you know, 50, 60, 70 games for however many it was a season, um, which again, when it, I sound like I'm complaining, I'm not because it was a sacrifice that I made because I love doing the sport, but it did have an impact on my family too, because that was time that I was burning uh, to go do baseball when I could have been burning it to take my wife on vacation or, or, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, um, she was, like I said, she was always good with it and it was never an issue. But when you take all that into consideration, it was just, it just wasn't, it wasn't in the cards for me to be able to do football while I was, while I was working. Well, you know, I think many guys who've done it, they totally understand that. I mean, I don't know how many guys have talked to me about you in the football unit. Hey, what happened to Chuck Becker? And I said, man, you know, he's busy with baseball and uh, that, you know, that whole real job thing kind of, kind of is an issue as well too. So uh, yeah, it was, it was a great, great time while it lasted. I did football a long time. Um, I'm not closing the door yet, but uh, it was fun chatting with you specifically about football to see an energy uh, into it much being a baseball guy like you and I are, which I consider us, it was fun to chat. Every time we worked a baseball game, we were talking about high school football, which was hilarious. Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, and that was good too, because it was kind of, we reversed roles a little bit, you know, because yeah. um, you've been in, in, in high school football for quite a while and I was new to it. So, um, you know, you kind of, I think you can kind of transition from sport to sport um, because the elements are the same. I think I, you know, your, your people skills and, and, and all that kind of stuff is, is they, they translate from sport to sport, but when it's something new and you don't have a clue and you're trying to learn, I mean, everybody watches football on TV, but when you read the rule book, the rule book doesn't read like <laughs> what I'm watching on television. What is the, you know, all, all the, the stupid terms and the, I'm like, oh my God, man, I'm never going to get this. So I was fortunate that I had you there to explain it all to me because <laughs> I was a zoo when we, were, when we got into that stupid rule book. Yeah, I always joke. With, guys are hilarious. So like, I always tell guys, come out, do football, man. They're like, I don't know anything about it. I go, perfect. <laughs> don't yeah, worry. What the hell is a free kick? What are you talking about? Wait, well, what the kicks fun? cost money? What? what? Is that when you're holding the ball or you're not holding the ball? I mean, <laughs> I don't have any. That's why I was an umpire in football, too. Any, any knucklehead can stand in the middle of the field and just try not to get run over. <laughs> I was good at that. I could do that. Don't make me think. Plus, you're away me... from coaches, far away from oh, coaches yeah. and those sidelines. Yeah, don't okay. give me those damn chains because all I'm going to do is get tangled up in them and I'm going to end up going <laughs> the wrong direction. It's going to just not be good. Don't oh do God, that's hilarious! Yeah. In the middle and just let me fend for myself. I know Tracy McFay was the assigner. He he loved uh, putting you on the field, and uh, again, other guys loved having you because uh, you were so hungry and and you obviously had a ton of experience, not just in baseball but in your line of work as well. So uh, those are things that everyone can work with in in football. So good time, you know. Well, it lasted anyway. Uh, yeah, it may not be over. I don't know. Yeah, you never you never know. You never. That's know. a good retirement job. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, roll, <laughs> roll over uh, Fridays. Uh, right. Well, Chuck, uh, kind of a serious question, you know, for you here as we're getting towards the end. Um, you know, the year 2020 has just been absolute chaos. I, I think everyone, if they're honest, would love a do-over. And as someone who is retired law enforcement, you put in 30 years of your life doing this, you 
uh, you've seen and experienced all kinds of things. I mean, what are just your general thoughts about the, the, the overview of law enforcement these days? I, I personally feel like it's police are, are under attack, uh, literally, which, which is just so unfortunate. And uh, I happen to know so many police officers and uh, they're, they're all, I consider them friends and good guys. And so to see this, this attack on police in the year 2020, it's very sad for me, but as a, as a former law enforcement guy, I mean, what can you say about uh, how this year has been and just kind of the overall outlook uh, of police officers? Well, uh, I, you know, I agree with, um, with your, your take on it. It, it is very sad. Um, it's sad to have been in a career that was so good to me. Um, and I think I was good to the, to the, to the career. Um, that when, when you see things like this happening, uh, it's disheartening and it, uh, yeah, for lack of a better way to put it, it just, it makes you sad. Um, because it's so, it's so hard because, um, you know, being, being in that line of work that 99.9% .9 of the people that are in it are all in it for the right reasons. They're all in it because uh, they, they want to do the right thing and help people and uh, they enjoy the, you know, the fun of the chase. And I mean, it's just, it kind of consumes you. Um, but every now and then um, we are also our own worst enemies. Um, and it, things like the, what's going on now seem kind of cyclical to me. You know, um, you go back to, you know, when we had the watch riots and, and uh, the police, you know, weren't viewed very well then. Um, in my lifetime, you know, we had Rodney King. Um, and, and that was a really high hurdle to overcome for law enforcement for a long time, you know. Um, fortunately, back then, we didn't have social media to spin everything up. And we didn't have, um, you know, Rodney King watched a grainy video from how many blocks away of a guy, you know, on his camcorder that was taking, taking video that night. Um, whereas now, uh, you know, obviously everything you do is, is being filmed somewhere, some way, somehow. So um, it's, a lot, it's a lot easier to have um, a lot more scrutiny uh, in everything that you do. But, um, you know, like I said, I think in, in some ways, sometimes uh, we are our own worst enemies. And I'm not going to lie. I, I mean, some guys may disagree with me, but sometimes I think we deserve it. But when you take one single incident and, and it gets blown to the proportion that it's blown to, um, this, is, this is, I think, the, the worst it's been. And um, the, the problem that's going to come out of this, I, I see, or part of the problem is um, nobody's going to want to do that job. Nobody's going to want to do it. There's not going to be enough money in the world to, or, or, you know, or enough retirement or whatever to um, lose um, qualified immunity that, that protects police officers um, to know that if you get into something, you're going to end up probably in federal court. 
um, to know that um, it, it's just it's it's just going to be a really really difficult line of work, and I don't think you're going to find a lot of people willing to do that, um, and that's sad. That that's kind of what's sad. It, it, it's uh, it is extremely sad, and it's also scary uh, because if there's if there's not people willing to do the job, and I don't blame them for not wanting to do it with uh, the scrutiny these days. Where, where does that leave society? Because uh, I'm going to say, Chuck, that, that we need police. We, we need police officers. We need law and order. And if, and if we don't have that, I, I don't know what the future holds for us. It's a scary thought for me. And uh, I, I don't want to run away from everything myself. But man, I, I'm, I'm at a place in my life now where I just I want to move to some small state and just kind of live in peace and not worry about some of these things, but you can't escape everything. And so, no, it's, I uh, mean, I mean, the latest one, what Minnesota, I mean, if you would have thrown a dart, yeah. Would you have, would you have imagined that all of this would have stemmed from an incident in Minnesota? Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't have, um, but you know, I wish we didn't need police. I wish, I wish society was, um, able to police itself. But the reality of it is, is that's just not the way it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, we do need them. Um, I think the police need to be, especially nowadays, um, transparent with everything. There's, um, and, and if you screw up, you should be held accountable for it. But the problem that I have like right now with what's going on is they're not, nobody's allowed to be held responsible for it. The, there's a system in place, just like there is for criminals, there's a system in place for police officers. And no, nobody hates a bad cop more than a cop because you give a black eye to everybody. It's yeah. the one percenters, you know? And that's in any profession. Um, not, not all clergymen were child molesters, not uh, you know, I, we could go on and on and on and on, you know, mm -hmm. but it's, it's obviously the, the, the one percenters that caused the problem. Unfortunately with law enforcement, the, what makes it more difficult, um, obviously is the fact that you have the power and the authority to take people's rights away from them and their life, if it comes down to it. So I do believe that you have to be held to a higher standard. And I do believe that you have to be held to um, a higher level of transparency, but I wish people would give the police officers the benefit of the doubt and let the system take care of it itself, because it really does. Um, I worked internal affairs for three years as a sergeant. Um, and that's not a job that anybody wants to do because you hear all the bad stuff that, that, happens and and you see all the complaints that come in and um but i can tell you without question um every complaint that came across our desk was investigated um and i go back to because nobody hates a bad cop more than a cop and you know we the police departments take those seriously and uh they want to weed out the ones that are causing the problems more than anybody and um, I don't know that the public really knows that or believes it, um, which is understandable because they, you know, 
they're probably thinking that we cover everything up, but uh, especially this day and age, like I said, everything's on video. Mm-hmm. Everything is on video. Everything you do. I told my son, who's a, he's a new officer. He's been out there for a year. I said, from the time you leave your house until the time you get back home to your house, think that everybody in the world can see what you do and hear what you do. Um, because it's going to come up somewhere, some way. You're going to be held responsible and accountable for something. Um, and where I wanted to go a little bit before that was um, we talked about it, it's going to be hard to get people to do the job. Um, you know, it's a lot of people don't want to be under that scrutiny and they're afraid of it. And um, I don't know. I don't know where that's going to leave law enforcement. I, I really don't. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, within, I don't know, probably the next year. I think that's going to be really telling. Um, so we're just going to have to kind of wait it out and see. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And, and I will speak from a civilian standpoint that uh, us as civilians, we need to do our part. Uh, you, you said some very, very insightful and powerful things there. And, and as civilians, uh, everyone listening out there, we need to do our part. We need to make these guys' jobs easier, not harder. So uh, that's what I want to say. And uh, you, you talked about your son there being someone new, new into it. There's a lot of people going into this right now, not really expecting all hell to be breaking loose like it has. And, and here we are. So uh, Chuck, my best to all the police officers that you know, um, all the law enforcement that you know, that you have worked with, the people you know, uh, friends of friends, if you will. Um, I hope you guys all know that there's plenty of people that are rooting for you guys um, that do support you guys on a every, everyday basis. Yeah, I, you know, we know that. And, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to get kind of caught up in all of it. But yeah. um, again, the, the ones that are doing, the ones that are causing the problems are the one percenters too. One percenters. Yeah. I like that you term, know, man. The, <laughs> the majority of the country knows what police are about and, mm-hmm. and they have faith and they, they have trust and, and they know that, that um, they can't do without them. So it's just a transition period. We'll see where it ends up. We'll see what ends up happening after it. The, the scary part I'll, I'll just close with um, is what I'm afraid of most now is that police officers are gonna be afraid to act and they're gonna end up getting hurt because they're afraid of the liability of doing what they should be doing. Um, I hope that's not the case, but my, my prediction is, and I hope I'm wrong, is we're gonna see a lot more police officers injured and killed um, if this continues the way it is right now, um, just because of the fact that they're, they're afraid. They really are. I, 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 I truly believe that they're afraid to do what they need to do to survive. Yes, that's, uh, that's unfortunate and uh, sad to hear. And, and hopefully it, uh, it doesn't go that way too bad. But yeah, I agree with you. It, uh, who knows what will happen. But uh, well, Chuck, you, you've had quite the career, my friend. You have uh, some incredible years in law enforcement, some uh, good times in uh, baseball, whether it be pro ball, uh, college baseball, 
Uh, I didn't mention earlier, but you are a guy that worked Division One baseball in the Big West, the WAC, and the West Coast Conference, uh, as well as uh, your other experiences in, in umpiring and a little bit of high school football. And man, I'm just glad to talk to you, Chuck. I, I so great of you to sit down and, and spend some time with me. I know you're a busy man these days, even though you're retired. Uh, but I do want to say, Chuck, that I know we're not, we probably won't work much baseball in the future together. I hope we do, but I don't know if we will or not. But you were always a guy. I saw your name on the schedule, Chuck. I knew I was going to have a good time, share some laughs. And uh, you're always a name I enjoyed seeing on, uh, on the game schedule, my friend. Likewise, man. I had a blast working <laughs> with you every chance we got. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, it may, not be, it may not be the end yet. Uh, we'll kind of wait and see what happens. But there's always golf. And uh, there is go how's the golf game, by the way? How, how is the golf game these days? Uh, it's horrid. It's oh, horrid. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrid, but I love it. Oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Outstanding. Well, that we share in common. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for having me, you know, and, and uh, uh, I, I, I really, I, I mean, I enjoy what you're doing. You know, it's, it's fun to listen to, to the, you know, the people you have on here and, and uh, um, I hope, I hope you're able to continue it, man, because it's really kind of cool, and it's good to see you doing it. And uh, hopefully maybe, maybe sometime later on we'll do it again. Oh, I would love that. Absolutely. Uh, we will chat with you very soon. Thank you so much for joining us, Chuck. We will see you very soon, I hope. All right. Take care. Later. Big thank you to Chuck Becker for joining us on the program. I think it was a great way to get our week of shows started. Thank you not only to you, Chuck, but to your family members, everyone involved in law enforcement. We are supporting you. We pray for you guys every day. And just thank you so much for all that you have done. We know you guys are criticized almost on a daily basis. But me personally and, and many others, I know we support you guys. We're behind you. And I hope you all know that we're pulling for you and we couldn't have the society we have without you guys. So thank you so much for uh, all the great work you've done in law enforcement, man. Just uh, an absolute pleasure to call you my friend and honor, if you will. And uh, just look forward to us catching up real, real soon. Well, guys, tomorrow on the program, we will be joined by Frank VR. Frank is a big time college football official. He currently works in the Pac-12. He was recently promoted to the referee position, the white hat. And he's been an umpire guy in the middle of the field, if you will, for a long time uh, in the Pac-12. He also has experience in the Big 12 and the Mountain West a little bit. He and I are from the same high school unit. He's been doing it a, much longer than I have. Uh, the Foothill Citrus unit is where our paths crossed. Uh, Frank has also worked two pretty high-level football games as a official in the Pac-12. He has worked the national championship uh, in college football twice. He worked it in 2013, uh, the game between Alabama and Notre Dame. And then most recently, he was on the field for the Clemson and LSU national championship game played just this past January uh, in the year 2020. So a lot of fun talks with Frank VR tomorrow talking about football officiating, kind of the climb through the ranks, what it's like working at the high school level, some of my memories. Uh, of him kind of instructing me as I was getting started and, and just what it's been like for him to rise not only into college football but also be involved in the NFL a little bit uh, along some of the developmental side of things working not only in the XFL but also the American uh, Alliance of American Football which was a, another league that was a couple years ago so Frank is just Mr. Football there's no other way to say it there's gonna be a lot of football topics tomorrow with Frank 
Um, he's going to talk to us what it's like, you know, not really kind of being a little disappointed about the whole not having a season <laughs> upcoming, if you will. Uh, the Pac-12 should have been going already, and unfortunately they decided not to play and are going to kind of postpone it until the spring for now, but we'll see what happens. So a lot of football conversations with Frank VR tomorrow. I promise you, even if you're not a football officiating fan, you'll, you'll hear some fun uh, conversation with Frank about just kind of his journey and how anyone can really uh, rise through the ranks of, of a specific job and specifically in this case, a lot of football talk. So be sure to tune in tomorrow and join us for that fun conversation. Guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have a Twitter handle that is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you. So the best way to contact us is through our email address. Shoot us an email, give us a uh, suggestion, an opinion. Uh, a question for us, whatever the case is, we would love to hear from you. That's the best way for us to keep everything together is through an email. But if you want to touch base with us through the social media platforms, no, no issues there. Uh, that's a great way to follow us, not only for our episodes that we put out, but also the information usually the night before regarding who's coming on the program. And you guys got to see hopefully some pictures of Chuck Becker on Sunday night, kind of describing his upcoming interview and uh, some more of that later today as I put out some pictures uh, for Frank VR tomorrow in his episode on Tuesday. So that's a big reason we have social media, but also to uh, promote the show and send our episodes out to uh, lots of different people. Anyway, if you want to reach us in another way, there's other options. You can send us a voice message, go to the Anchor app or anchor.fm. You can send us a voice message. So rather than email uh, with written words, you can actually have your voice heard on the program. It is a one minute limit. If you send it through the Anchor app or anchor.fm, uh, you can also send us a voice message through a text message if you like. So a lot of different options there. If you want your voice heard, we get it. If you don't want your voice heard, we understand that as well. So a lot of different options. We hope to hear from you just like you hear from us here on the Get Home Safe podcast, Monday through Friday with episodes coming out early in the morning on those days. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. I know it was a long show, a long intro, a long interview with Chuck Becker, but I think it was uh, relevant. There's a lot of things that had to be said. And thank you for uh, bearing with us and just uh, hanging in there for a long, long episode. But sometimes they go that way and we wouldn't have it any other way. We don't want to leave anything out, if you will. We want to go about our business and you know continue to have conversations that are meaningful and things that you guys like to hear. So we hope to hear from you in some way or another. But if we don't, we'll be back tomorrow for another fun episode. And I got to tell you, some great episodes this week. I won't give away any more than that uh, outside of tomorrow, Tuesday with Frank VR. But a lot of great things ahead. I got to tell you that. So, guys, thanks for joining us. And we will see you tomorrow. But, guys, whatever you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. <laughs>